Yeah, I'm not sure what the, the plan normally is here. Well, I wasn't sure if I would use the pulpit up there. That's always a responsibility to stand behind someone's pulpit. I look at this and say, yeah, I can be comfortable down here. Uh, when we had our life group in here, I would take the, uh, the portable pulpit and I'd move it way back there and we'd, I'd have it about six rows up from the back because everybody likes to sit there. I said, well, we'll just teach from back there. Uh, so that's, uh, that's worked pretty good in the past. If you would, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, last Wednesday evening, I was, uh, or Wednesday or Thursday, I think it might have been Wednesday, but last Wednesday evening I was up working in the finance office and Pastor Lejeune stopped in there for a minute, maybe an hour before service. And we got to talking and I, I mentioned a, a silly little dream that I had and, and what was taking place. And I said to him, I said, hey, did you ever... You ever have a nightmare? Like, remember when you were a kid and, and you had a nightmare that you, um, uh, you were ready to, you were supposed to be taking a test. And all of a sudden you're like, I didn't study for a test. I didn't do that. I'm probably the only one who didn't study. But I, uh, and then you wake up and you're like, oh, the relief of that, right? And I said to him, well, Pastor, I said, have you ever, you know, like had a dream that you got to the pulpit and didn't prepare anything? He goes, oh, yeah, I've had that nightmare. He said, I've had that more than, more than any other kind of a, a nightmare. And, and in a measure, I sort of felt like that because uh, I started, uh, Pastor asked me if I would speak this evening, and I don't call this preaching. Uh, but if I would speak and uh, I said, yeah, I've got... Uh, a lesson that I used with the men recently that I believe I could, I could do. But as I started doing that, the Lord just wouldn't let me put it together. Uh, it just, I kept coming back to Romans chapter 12. Uh, so if you would, open your Bibles there unless I already asked you to do that. But Romans chapter 12, and I kept coming back, and, and it was like the Lord kept drawing me back to Romans chapter 12. So I texted Pastor, and I said, have you preached out of Romans chapter 12 recently? And he said, you know, and then I said, and please don't tell me that was last night because I was there, you know. But uh, he said, no, Romans 15 and John 15, but, but not Romans 12. And I just said, okay, so uh, we're going to look at some things here in Romans chapter 12 and we'll just see where this goes because it's, it's a little different for me. Um, it might be that what we're going to do tonight is I'll sort of walk you through uh, my approach to Bible study um, I don't see the Word of God where it, do, where it does speak on science. It's extremely accurate. Where It's accurate. It's a per- perfectly uh, accurate. Uh, where it speaks on all of these history and all these different things and geography, it's accurate. Um, but I don't use it as a textbook for those type of things, although they're very good. I oftentimes just look at the Word of God and try and compare myself. Uh, I do look at some of you, and I, I look at the good things that I see, and I say, Lord, if I could be like them, I think of Tom with soul winning. I say, if I could be like Tom in, in the soul winning capacity, if I could be like, you know, these others, I think of Carol Ford, and I've used her before, and many of you don't know her, but some of you would know Carol. And I, and I remember thinking about uh, and listening to her pray and thought, boy, if I could learn how to pray like that uh, in the way that Carol does. And I would see those things, and, but I don't oftentimes compare myself on the bad side. My, oh, I'm bad in this area because of this or that. No. But I do use the Word of God oftentimes to examine myself and see where I am, where is improvement needed, uh, and what needs, to, uh, what needs to change. What can the Lord do with me? Can he use me in some way or another? So we're going uh, to bow for prayer, and then we'll look at a number of different things. 
My Father, I do ask that you'd help to calm my spirit. Uh, And Lord, I do thank you for uh, all that you do. I think of the pastor who was away this evening. I know he's visiting uh, another church at the same time with a good friend of his. Uh, So Lord, I pray that uh, uh, he'd be encouraged and he'd be blessed. And uh, Lord, they had snow where he is, and I'm glad there's no snow here. But uh, we thank you for all that you do, and I do enjoy that. But Lord, I pray you'd help uh, guide my thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are things prepared this evening. If you'd look there with me in Romans chapter 12, it starts out and it says, I beseech you, therefore. And many of you have heard this, and when the word therefore is seen, you have to find out what it's there for. Why is it there? Well, it's there because of something that came just before it. There's something that took place or something that uh, is, is causing you to look back and say, okay, so what is that? I'm not going to go back all the way through Romans chapter 11, but I want us to look, uh, I'm going to read from verse 33, uh, and it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Unsearchable. They're beyond the comprehension or understanding and human reasoning. God is so far above man, and his ways are so high above our ways. His ways are unsearchable for you and I. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Because of those things, because of the the high and lofty state of God, I beseech you, Paul said. In Isaiah chapter 6, I'll just read this. It says, "In In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord also. I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I I looked at that and I thought, this is exactly what Paul is saying here. The same type of a statement that, that Isaiah made, Paul makes here. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The depths of God's judgments are so incomprehensible and, and so far. And he says here in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore. He says, I implore you. I desire of you. I pray that you will yield yourself. That's like the servant in Exodus chapter 21, verse 5. And it says, who, who, we have the account of the servant being released and he could be free. And what does the scripture say? He says, no, he loved his master so much, he said, I want to stay in this position that I am. 
I care for him and I love him and I desire to serve him forever. And that's what I'd say we need to reach that point. Paul's saying, I beseech you, because of how good God is, because of how majestic he is, because of how marvelous he is, because of the depth of his judgments, because of the depth of his knowledge, I encourage you to do this. It says that in verse 1, then, how we were to be holy, which is morally pure, we're to be virtuously or virtuously carry ourselves. Uh, virtue is a voluntary obedience to truth. Uh, we read the Word of God and we see something that's true. <laughs> no, we read the Word of God and we're reading the truth. And we have to bring ourselves to conform to those things that we see. And there is an effort that we put in, but it really is the work of God. I don't want us just being religious for the sake of being religious and, and putting on airs. No, we want, we want the work to be done on the inside and bringing it out um, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and all of these different things. But we're to be morally pure, we find in verse 1. We're to be full of virtue, and that's voluntary obedience to the truth in a manner that's well-pleasing to the Lord. And the Bible says that that is our reasonable service. It is both rational and it's logical that we choose this path, uh, basing it all on how wonderful God is towards us. You read back through... uh, Chapter 11, and you find uh, the, the love he has for Israel and the, and the blindness that was in part given to them because the Gentiles needed to be saved and, and brought us in. But we find that this living a holy and a moral life is a reasonable service. It's rational, it's logical, and it's exactly what God wants us. He says that we're not to be conformed to this world We're not to be conformed in our behavior. We're not to be conformed in our vocabulary. We're not to be uh, conformed in our spirit. We're not to be conformed in our outlook. We're not to be conformed in our appearance. Everything about the Christian should stand out. I had a lady one time, I wasn't witnessing to her. I wasn't, I was just there fixing some plumbing in her house. And uh, at the end of the, uh, uh, the time there, she asked me a couple of questions about something. And I answered her and she said to me, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes. She had asked me, she was going to give me a tip, and I, we weren't allowed to take them. And when she said to me, well, nobody's going to know, I said, yeah, but I'll know. And that's when she said, you're a Christian. That's the kind of, that's the kind of difference that people should see in us all the time. I can remember being in the military and watching Christians and thinking, what is it that they know that I don't know? Well, I found out after a little bit. But what was it? What, how could that young man be so calm in the midst of persecution and difficulty and hardness and, and honestly name-calling and mockery and all of those things? He was so different and it caught my attention. But it's our reasonable service. We're not to be conformed to the world in behavior, vocabulary. You think about what's, remember that, um, uh, there's a, an old saying, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, Right? Uh, but really, we're not supposed to be like that. And oftentimes, we, we conform to the world in so many different areas. Um, you know, you, you, in our behaviors, in our attitudes, in our spirit, in the things we say, in the things we listen to, in the places we go, uh, we want to be very careful uh, that we're not easily mistaken uh, for the world. 
It tells us here that we're to be transformed. That means that we're to be changed. We're to be renewed. I was, as I was looking up the words renewed, um, this thing keeps moving here on me. I guess I shouldn't lean on it. Um, it says that we're to be renewed by the renovating of our mind. The renovating of our mind. I thought, what a perfect illustration in this room right now. This room's been under, the auditorium here has been under renovation. You can look about and see what the lighting was taken out. It was removed and new lighting was brought in. Uh, the screens were taken down or a screen was taken down and new screens uh, were put up and the, the cross was taken down and a new cross was put up and all of the different aspects. And, and that's how it is supposed to be in our life. Our thinking has to be changed. Our thinking has to be renovated. Our thinking has to be brought about and renewed. Why? Because it, oftentimes it stinks. It's lousy. But we have, to, we have to learn to take every thought we have and submit it to Christ, to submit it to the Word of God, because that's the truth. But how do we do that? We bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We look at the Word of God, and we examine the thoughts that we have, and we examine the ideas that we have, and we examine the, the philosophies that we have, and we say, do they conform to this image. No, if not, then it's part of that renovation process, that renovating of your mind, the renewing of your mind. Uh, we look about and you just, like I said, you see all of those things here. Because our mind can really be a battleground and the Word of God anchors every thought that we have to truth because truth makes us free. When I, when I have a, a, a thought, you know what it's like when the the devil whispers something back in your ear or something comes up from many, many years ago. And I'll be like, no, oh, no, no, no. I confess that to God. I took care of that. You can't make me feel guilty about that any longer. And why? Because we have the word of God and we can rely on it. And I know what the truth of the matter is. We look here, where is that? Um, in verse uh, um, 3, let me show you something here. I've been uh, attending White Oak Baptist Church since 1983. 1983, um, April, the last week of April, 1983. I only know when I got saved because June Logan, who was a member here for many years, kept all these little bulletins, or kept all the church bulletins for I don't know how long. And uh, one day she brought them to the church and we had them at a meeting and, and I was like, oh, wow, she's got the ones from 1983. And I went back and found one and it was it's uh, the second week in May and it was a praise the Lord, Jim Owens trusted Christ as a Savior last week. Then I knew it was May 1st, 1983. But I've been uh, attending here since 1983. I've been a deacon since 1987. Um, uh, Pastor Abbey, uh, Norman Abbey was a deacon here and he uh, was called of God to start River Valley Baptist Church and he left and I became a deacon and that entitles me to some things and I want to show you um, what that is here in uh, uh, the scripture um, it says for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I've been here since 1983, a deacon since 1987, and I'm told not to think of myself more highly than I ought. You see, I'm not entitled to anything. There's nothing special about me that somebody who's been here one year isn't the very same thing. Six months, one day, a visitor, it really doesn't matter. 
The answer is really that nothing, I'm not to esteem myself, nor to be vain or arrogant and making myself feel more important. No, we're to be the servants of all. We're to be servants one of another. Why? Verses 4 and 5, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We're in this body together. This body, White Oak Baptist. Do you ever think about that when somebody leaves a, a church ministry upset or bothered? Or I, I was thinking about it today. What if you're the heart? What if you're the heart of that ministry and you get mad and just off you go? What if you're, what if you're that set of hands that, that does so much? Or what part of the body are you that is necessary and needed? And the Bible says that God brings the body together. It's fitly joined together by what he puts here. God doesn't want us. We're not to be wandering and just jumping around in place to place. No, we settle in. We're in this body together. White Oak Baptist Church is a multicultural church. And I I was thinking about the differences. And oftentimes, part of being multicultural is very easy to deal with. But we have an aspect going on right now of Spanish-speaking people and I did download an app to try and learn some Spanish, but I haven't been doing my homework. But I want to be able to talk because in a small church, in a church running 250 people, uh, differences in things like that and cultures can be pretty obvious. If we were running 1,000 people, it's, it's a little easier, not that we should get lost in the mix, but it's, it's easier to walk through the hallways and see different people and be like, oh, hello, and that's about the extent of it. But when we're in a smaller congregation and we're growing, there's, you know, I'm looking at the auditorium on Sunday mornings and thinking, if we put both groups back together on Sunday morning and then brought the Spanish down, I, I don't know that we'd have enough room even in here. But we're in this body together, and we're a multicultural church, and we're to be what? Fitly joined together. Every one of us has, has a part to play and a role. Um, and we look here and we see we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. The, the ones that seem to be not fitly joined together, yeah, they're a part. They've got their role to play. Every one of us has our role to play. And, and we're, to, we're to care and, and be concerned one for another and to serve one another. Uh, I know Pastor mentioned this. He did a demonstration here a little bit ago, a couple weeks back, on uh, washing the feet of someone and, and being that type of a servant. And that's how you and I should be. We should be coming to White Oak Baptist Church looking, how can I serve those around me? And, and what a spirit that would bring if everybody came to church on a, and a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or every time we're together and it was looking for a way to be a help to someone else. Uh, to this day, I can remember, I would, I would actually sit over somewhere near the Okais. Uh, they had a certain spot they would sit when we had pews and I would typically sit a row or two behind them and, and Pastor Peslak would walk by and I'd be over there and, and every now and then he would just pat me on the back as he walked by and I felt like, wow the pastor's attention. It wasn't all about that. It was just that's sometimes all it is for us is maybe an encouraging word, maybe a, maybe a little thank you or how are you doing, or, and we're going to see a, a few of those things. We see here in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, um, preaching, um, uh, prophecy, preaching, let us, uh, let us prophesy according to the prophet proportion of faith, or ministry, 
what is ministry? Well, that's, that's our service one to another. Every one of us serving each other on a regular basis. Um, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. And whatever manner your giving is, we see here, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, um, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Your giving is, needs to be sincere. But we, you know, oftentimes we only think of giving as finances. No, there's so much more because you give of yourself. You give of your spirit. You give of, the, of your care and your concern uh, to others. In verse 9, it says that uh, uh, there should be, uh, let love be without dissimulation. Um, our love is to be genuine, and that only comes when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, we're not oftentimes loving people. What are we? We're often self-centered. We're selfish. Uh, we're out for what is best or in our best interest. Uh, but that's not uh, the way that God would have us to be. And the only way it comes about is that we transform. We're to, be, uh, we're to abhor or detest that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Uh, how can it be, or excuse me, how should we be and how should others perceive White Oak Baptist Church? What about when the visitors come? What about when somebody stops here? We understand. you remember how scary it was to walk into a church for the very first time? Especially if you walk into a church as an unsafe person. And, and you, want the, you want people coming in to look about and go, what is it? What is it about these people that attracts me, that makes me interested? I've heard for, for as many years as I've been here how friendly White Oak Baptist Church is, and that should always be the case. It should always be that way, how friendly it is. Joanne and I were, uh, we were out on a bus route one day down on uh, Pembroke Street, and there was a lady um, that I had seen and I had talked to a few times. She was, a, uh, she was drug addicted, and she had said to me, at one point, do you understand what it's like being 29 years old and when you go for a job interview uh, telling the people that you, you don't know how to work? The only thing you know how to do is sell drugs. She said, my mom uh, did that, my mom lived that way, and that's how I've been living. So anyway, so I'm just trying to witness to her at different times and talking to her. I can picture the house that, that I would knock on the door. We wouldn't go in the house. It was a big six or eight family and it, just, it was just too dark inside the hallways and stuff. But uh, I'd see her out there on the porch and so this one day Joanne and I are down there and uh, um, she's arguing with a man and I see she's got a knife in her hand and I said, Joanne, you get her, you go talk to her. I'm going to try and get him to move away a little bit and I'll talk to him. And we separated the two of them and he eventually got in his car and drove away and she said to my wife, I don't even know her name, didn't even know her name then. And she said to my wife, she said, your husband has me in her heart, in his heart. What is that? That's us just, that's not me caring for somebody. That's the Spirit of God changing selfish, self-centered people so that we might care for others. It's the transforming of verse 2. And that's how White Oak should be. We should be uh, goodwill one towards another, goodwill towards those who come in and visit, goodwill towards those who have gone out. We should be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. I remember going away with uh, Brother Verone one time, and um, uh, we were at a men's conference, or, yeah, I think it was a men's conference, and I went down to his hotel room before we were checking out, 
and his bed was made. And he, it was made that you could tell it was, um, had been slept in, but he, and I said, Brother Rome, I said, why did you make your bed? And he said, because I was preferring the housekeeper, and I just wanted to make things a little easier for her. I thought, well, I might just make the bed and leave it then. But, but it was that type, it was more the spirit of it that here he is thinking about making something easier for someone else and helping someone else, being kind to another, preferring one another. What that might mean is that it, there are times where we might have to yield our opinion to the judgment or the opinion of someone else, even when well, I like my opinion. I tell people I have opinions about everything. I just don't share them all the time. You know, that's something we have to learn not to do. But uh, be preferring one another. It says we're not to be slothful. I say that when we're slothful, the, that lazy type of attitude. Uh, I, I had a friend of mine who used to say, when you do a job, if you don't clean up and you don't put all the tools away and you don't finish everything completely, then you haven't finished the job. That's being slothful. When you put your hand to a task, let's complete it fully. Let's see it all the way through. Let's see it right to the end. Not slothful. We're to be fervent, and that's earnest and excited serving the Lord. Um, you know, sometimes you go and you, you run into, um, I got, a, uh, some of you, I got a, uh, a text message from uh, Sister Gail's son Jason the other day. Um, you know, Gail is, uh, if you knew Sister Gail, she's still mentioned all over the place. You run into people who always talk about Sister Gail. But uh, uh, Gail was one who was always hot for the Lord. I mean, she was, she was a fire burning all the time. She would be one that you look at and go, Lord, can I have a little bit of that spirit? Um, but she wasn't slothful. Um, they was fervent in spirit. She was earnest and excited serving the Lord. And that's how we're supposed to be. It, it's, it's not ho-hum drudgery. No, it's we get to do these things for the Lord. We get to minister to one another. We get to befriend one another. We get to, think about it, we're going to spend an awful lot of time together uh, someday. And I don't think it's all that far off. In verse 12, it says we're to be rejoicing in hope. Hope is a desire of good. Even when difficulty is surrounding you, there's hope in what's good. Why? Because nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing, nothing comes across our plate that isn't, it, that isn't allowed by God. I've, I've thought sometimes, I'm 65 now, aside from health things here and there, little things, a cold, a flu, a sore throat, a backache. I thought, Lord, do I have a moment's right to complain if I was sick? No. We have hope in the goodness of God and hope it's a desire of good. In verse 12 it says we're to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. That's being calm and submissive to God's will and what he allows to take place. We can, you know, it's easy for us to get stirred up and run around and, and, and just be uh, uh, on pins and needles all the time. But that calm and submissive spirit to God's will and what he allows is, uh, is a tremendous blessing. And it's, it's, it's interesting because what it does is it's another aspect of letting other people see what God is doing. Oh, that's how a Christian responds. We don't want it to be, oh, I'd, I'd be a Christian except for I see how you act at work, you know. I don't think that's an excuse either, but then we're told here that we're to be instant in prayer. 
We're, constant, we're to be constantly diligent to be a people of prayer, constantly going back. You know, you, and do you ever pray in, in just little ways? Uh, and I've, I share prayer requests, but many times I just like to be able to pray and ask the Lord, and then you know, nobody else knew this. Nobody else knew this need. Nobody else saw this. Now, I don't know how some of you are, and I'm not going to tell you the whole end of this story, but... I had somebody recently who likes to hunt, and they um, were out deer hunting. And they're in the blind for hours and hours, and nothing's coming by. And they were with one of their sons. And they turned to their son all of a sudden, a little guy, and they said, you know what? I didn't even think to ask God to send a deer by. So they prayed. And he said to me, not a minute later, three deer come walking out of the woods. And the little boy's like, Dad, shoot him, shoot him. And he's like, no, can't do that. God answered that prayer and sent them out right that moment. Think, think for that little six-year-old. What a, what a faith builder. And just you think, oh, that's a silly thing. No, that's, that's a faith builder that you can ask God anything. I wouldn't, yeah, I'm glad he didn't shoot him, but, you know. <laughs> it just wouldn't seem right, but, you know. Um, look at verse 14 with me. It said, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. And that bless is to speak well of them. Look, at there, there are people who are going to say things about you that just are unkind and maybe even untrue. Um, don't, get into that, don't get into that bitter battle or whatever it might be. Um, I'm not on... Uh, Brother Verone sends me things from Twitter and Facebook and different things like that. I said, I said, Jay, I can't, I can't open any of these because I, I don't, I don't, I'm not on any of that stuff. Um, I have nothing against it. I just no interest in being there. But I'll hear about this person fighting with that person over this, and it's like, what are you airing all your dirty laundry on Facebook for, and, and all these problems, and you know, you, they make it seem like it's so uh, so good, and it, but no, it's just, you're, it's, it's ridiculous, but the Bible tells us that we're to speak well of them that persecute you, don't follow their lead, remember, here, you think about it, what does the Bible say, a soft answer turneth away wrath, well oftentimes the wrath that can get turned away is our wrath, somebody says something unkind to us, something that bothers us, something that really hurts our feelings is, is all it is. And, and we respond in kind, and God says, no, sometimes it's that, that soft answer we give can help us maintain the right tone and maintain the right spirit and maintain the right attitude and be the good example. I think it goes on to here. Um, let me jump down because I was looking at something here. It says... Um, uh, Therefore... This is in the aspect of um, speak well of them that persecute you. Um, Bless them, it says. But therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, that's that's difficult because we think coals of fire. No, it's just your kindness to that person who's being mean-spirited or maybe being nasty to you. Those, that's just, it, it's something now, they have to think on this. And they have to recognize, wow, uh, Brother Owens treated me properly when 
I wasn't treating him so good, or whatever the case may be. We want to be careful about that because it gives, it gives the Lord an opportunity to, to point to that and say, do you see how this took place? There's something different about them. There's something different about those people, and it should be those people over at White Oak Baptist Church, Christians as a whole. If we um, look at verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And I looked at this and I thought, this, is, uh, this strikes me as the ultimate kindness and display of love. I'm thinking about Connie and Pierre right now, or Essie and uh, Lexton, and, and all the different things that are going on. And you come alongside and you put your arm around Connie when you see her here, or you, you just, just that measure, what is that? That's... that's demonstrating a little bit of love and care for one another. It seems to me that that's the, uh, that's the ultimate. Verse 16, be not wise in your own conceits. This is, again, an elevated perception that we have of ourselves. Our conceits, is, that's our thoughts and, and the imaginations that we have and all of those different things. It's a self-flattering opinion uh, of ourselves. It's a self-flattering opinion of our accomplishments. Be not wise in your own conceits. We're really to, we're really to think very humbly of ourselves. Um, I'd rather be one, and we should all rather be ones that would take the offense rather than be the offense. We'd rather be the one who, who let, me, let me take the hurt even if it cost me something rather than cause somebody else some hurt. I'd ask us at, at White Oak Baptist Church that we foster an approach over these next weeks, months, and if the Lord tarries years, that you and I, each one of us, we are a servant of all, and we must decrease, and he must increase. Let's pray. My Father, I do ask that you would continue to guide and direct, and uh, really, Lord, just some simple areas. I, I look at the Word of God, and I I never feel that I measure up, and we know that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But I look at the Word of God, and I say, Lord, work on me in this area, and what can I do here, and what needs to be changed? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to conform ourselves to this. Uh, I know that we'd beseech, we look at all the kindness and the greatness of God, that we'd look at these things and, and be amazed at how marvelous and wonderful you are, and understand it's our reasonable service to humble ourselves before you, to humble ourselves before others, and to serve one another in Jesus' name. Amen.